It's always wonderful. I know that there are people here who have gathered from out of town and who are, who are just coming in, who are here for the weekend visiting family and things like that. And it's an, it's an important time to be able to reconnect. And I want to encourage you to join us in a time of fellowship in the McCullough Room following this service. That's a great time to reconnect with everybody who, is, uh, who has been away for a while or that you have not seen in a while. We hope that you'll take advantage of that great fellowship opportunity and and say to one another, happy Thanksgiving. I know that Thanksgiving is now past, but, but there's never a bad time to give thanks for what God is doing. For one, of the things I'm, one of the things I'm giving thanks for is just for being back here now. I've been gone for a few weeks, and it is so good to be back with you here at First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio. In other words, it's just good to be home. I love to travel, but I love to come home whenever we get a chance. So, where were we? Where was I? Well, with a lot of members of the congregation, Morgan and I just returned from the Holy Land and an extended trip to visit mission partners in Warsaw. People have asked me, was it everything you expected? And I would say I had very high expectations and it exceeded them all. It was a wonderful trip. But we had, we had these two pieces of our trip. We had our trip to the Holy Land and then we also visited our mission partners in Warsaw, Poland. And both ends of this experience were absolutely blessed. And for both of them, we are grateful. But I'll, I'll never forget, just uh, last Friday, Morgan and I were sitting in one of my favorite restaurants in Warsaw, Poland, just reflecting on the day. We had just been to a, a, an important museum there in Poland. We had a wonderful day. We, we spent time with our mission partners there. And as we were walking to the rest, restaurant that evening, it just started to snow. It just started those light snow flurries coming down. And of course, in Warsaw, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. So, so you think we're already decked out for Christmas? You think Walmart's already there? Warsaw is well beyond ready for Christmas. They are ready to go. Everything is up. The snow flurries were coming down. Morgan and I were sitting in this restaurant, and she said, you know what? It's really beginning to feel like Christmas. And I said, you realize that three days ago we were in Bethlehem, right? I mean, what is it about the snow and all the decorations to make that feel more like Christmas than actually being in the town where Jesus was born? But it's, but it's, it's just one of those experiences that it's, it's just hard to digest. It's hard to, it's hard to express. And a lot of people ask me, well, what was it like to be there, to go to the places where Jesus walked? And my answer is that I've always believed that these things that we read about in the Bible, I've always believed that they really happened. But having been there, it's like I have a whole new level of conviction. It's like I've shifted into a gear that I didn't even know existed. I mean, I have always believed that these things really happened. But now, I really, really believe that these things really happened. Because this is a real place with real people, real stories where real events and real miracles took place. And so as we go into our scripture passage for today, we're going to read a familiar story. It's the story of the Annunciation 
or the announcement to Mary about God's plan for the birth of the king, for the birth of the Messiah. And as we read this familiar passage today, I want you to take a moment and just suspend what you think you know about it, and I want you to think about it as it is, not just as a Christmas story, but as a true story about something that really happened to a young woman named Mary in a town called Nazareth. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we know that this is your word, that it is completely true, and that it is given in love. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. It was a dark time in the land of Israel. For 550 years, the people of God had either been exiled at war or occupied by foreign powers. It was a time of violence, a time of poverty, a time of uncertainty. The Romans swaggered around the Temple Mount, violating the holy heart of Israel. There were extortionist taxes, arbitrary arrests, crucifixions, slavery, and abuse of every kind were part of everyday life under Roman occupation. On top of all of that, it had been 400 years since the people had heard from a prophet or any messenger of God. Had God forgotten them? Had he finally abandoned them to their own devices? Had he finally said, enough's enough, I'm just not putting up with you people anymore? Did he care anymore? Were the promises of God real for them anymore? 
But then if we look back during another dark time in their history, the prophet Isaiah had foretold that one day a great light would come to Israel to dispel the gloom in which she dwelled. He spoke the word of the Lord, saying, In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That light began to break through the darkness one night in the town of Nazareth, in the region known as Galilee, in the ancient lands allotted to the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, just as the prophet foretold. An angel named Gabriel appeared to a young woman named Mary. And the angel appeared to Mary saying, Greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. And the Bible says that she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That's code for she was scared to death. That's a very sterile way, a very, a very imprecise and really understated way to say she was seeing something that no one had ever seen before. This was a big deal. And too often we pass over this moment of shock and awe like it doesn't matter. But this angel was a servant of the Most High God. This angel was ancient beyond reckoning, powerful beyond rational description. This is a messenger of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had sculpted the mountains of the earth and laid low the greatest empires of the world of men. This isn't some pointy-eared elf on the shelf who reports on who's been naughty or nice. No, this is a servant of the one who will judge the living and the dead. And we can't even begin to believe what she was seeing. And suddenly, Mary was in the grip of a moment unlike any other in human history. After 400 years of silence, God's light and his voice were breaking through the darkness. And the word spoken through the prophet was finally coming true. Christmas is all about remembering that the truth and the person and the promises of God are real and he has made them visible and tangible. It's also about understanding that the God who makes the promise of a king will keep the promise of a king. In this brief encounter, the angel's words laid out how God was going to make real the promise of a king and a kingdom. And this is how the Almighty will keep his promise. The angel said, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And not just any son, but the son of the Most High God, whom you shall name Jesus. This king will be divinely different. He will be unlike any other person or king who has ever lived. The angel said he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, the most high God. 
Isaiah had said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is not going to be an ordinary baby. This is not going to be an ordinary leader. He will be a king like no other. This is no earthly dictator or potentate. This is something completely different, someone completely different. He will not rule by the support and loyalty of the people. He will have the mandate of heaven. You see, like us, the people of Israel were looking for and had been waiting for some newer edition of the same old thing. They were looking for a new and improved kind of king, a new and improved kind of emperor. We might think of it as looking for that perfect presidential candidate, a charismatic strongman who would blow the trumpets and lead the armies and crush their enemies and return them to the glory days and rebuild the empire of David and Solomon. But God was promising them and us something completely different. The angel said he will have all the authority of the father, For as the prophet of Hebrews says, for to whom or to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You will be unique. You will be different. You will be the one. And yet Isaiah also said this. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Unlike every other king or emperor or pharaoh or potentate, he wouldn't come with parades and trumpets. He wouldn't come to live in a palace. He would not be known for his power and might, but for his humility and love. And rather than demanding that his people give their lives for him, he would give his life for them. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A king, but not the kind of king you expect. This is the God who emptied himself to get down in the mud and the blood and the monotony and the stress of everyday human life just to prove how much he loves us just to prove that he understands the limits of our endurance, that he knows what we're up against, that he knows our weaknesses, our circumstances, our pain, our situations, that he gets us because he's been through it all. Yes, even death. He will have all of the power and glory of heaven, and yet he'll give it all up for our sakes. This king will be different from every other king who ever lived or any other false god or demagogue ever known. And by that difference, he will show us who and what God really is. He will be divinely different. 
The angel also declared that the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And the reason that he says this is to declare that this is all by God's design. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God had named the family in which the king would be born, the family of David. Behold, the days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Through the prophet Micah, he had declared the location of the king's birth. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And then again, through the prophet Isaiah, he even specified the conditions under which this king would be born. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And it all happened just like God said it would hundreds of years later. It happened just as God planned it and designed it. God is in control, and this is part of his plan. This is all by God's eternal, sovereign design. This is not an accident. It's part of his plan. And this is the way God wanted it. The promise of a new king and a new kingdom is rooted in God's faithfulness to his own promises. And this is so important because it reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. That God, unlike so many others, is actually reliable. He means what he says and he says what he means. That we can take him seriously when he makes a promise or a declaration. That our God is the God who keeps his promises. He kept his promises to Israel. And he will keep his promises to us. The angel also reveals that this new king and this new kingdom will last. Unlike the kings and kingdoms of the past, this new kingdom is durable. The angel said, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. As Isaiah also promised, of the increase of his government and the end of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me ask you, what lasts anymore? We live in a world of disposability. Bottles, appliances, morals, relationships. I mean, there is no such thing as an unlimited warranty anymore, is there? It's just a limited warranty. If you want to take something back, you better make sure that that business is still going to be there next Christmas. I'm not even going to get into the whole cryptocurrency thing right now, but when you pay a lot of money to buy nothing... Maybe that's what you get. There's so many things that don't last. 
But this kingdom is not going to be like those kingdoms of the past. This one is going to last. It's not going to dissolve or expire like the solutions of the past. And unlike the promises of politicians, it will not turn out in a lame duck session or change because of a new election cycle. As the author of Hebrews said, but you are the same and your years will, ha will have no end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can count on him because this king, he's not going anywhere. So this king's going to be different. It's all by God's design and his kingdom will be durable. Now all of this sounded great to Mary. It's all very compelling but where's the proof? I mean, sure, God has made promises, but it's so often it seems that promises are made to be broken. How can Mary know that God's going to keep his promise? Well, the angel has an answer for that too. He says, Mary, you are going to conceive a child, and it will be like no other conception in human history. Now, as awestruck as she was, Mary was no ignorant primitive, as some critics like to suggest. Even in her awe and fear and the presence of the angel of the Lord, Mary's intelligence was sober. When Mary was told that she would conceive a child, she said to the angel, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can this be since I have never been with a man? I mean, she understood the birds and the bees. How is this going to be possible? And the angel's answer to her was, with God, nothing is impossible. And with that statement, the whole idea of the Christmas miracle was born. That which seems irrational and extraordinary and incredible, supernatural, and even impossible is possible with God. You will know that God keeps his promises because he's about to prove the impossible with you. <clears throat> but there will be one more sign as well. He said, your aged relative Elizabeth is already six months into her pregnancy. She's going to bear a child. God is going to keep his promise of Messiah, and here's the proof. Even though you've never been with a man, and it's biologically impossible for you to be pregnant you will conceive and bear a child. And even though it was impossible for your cousin Elizabeth to conceive, life will come from lifelessness. Now I believe that Mary was in shock. So the angel responded, do not be afraid, for God is with you. That power that you feared and rightly feared is on your side. God loves you, and he has singled you out for a universe-changing purpose. But Mary had her own life. She had her own plans. She had her own hopes and dreams. She had her own vision for her life, none of which included her being part of God's plan for the redemption of Israel, none of which included her getting pregnant before her wedding, putting her life in danger and being a disgrace to her family and fiancé. What do you say in a moment like this? When an angel comes to you and tells you you're going to conceive and bear a child, there's no script for that. There's no playbook for that. What do you say in a moment like this? Do you, do you fight it? Do you run for it? 
I mean, will she embrace God's plan for her life? Will it crush her like a curse? Or will she receive it as a gift? Well, Luke tells us. He says that Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a sublime statement of devotion and obedience. And her words are reminiscent of something that her son, Jesus, would say. The most important words ever uttered. Not my will, but thy will be done. In that moment, Mary trusted God and gave her life to him as her king. What is our decision? What happens when God's plans interrupt our plans? Is God our king or is he just our caretaker? Is he the sovereign in our lives or a supplement to the things we want? Is he a servant to our purposes or is he truly our king? God had a plan and a purpose for Mary's life. And you know what? He has a plan and a purpose for your life too. God has designed you and has designed your life as part of his design. He has made you part of his design. He has made you part of his plan to save the universe. And if he can empower a humble young girl to save the universe through the greatest miracle since the creation of the earth then I bet he can use you, and I bet he can use me as well. Because God knew you long before this moment, just as he knew her long before this moment. And Christmas is all about remembering that the truth, the purposes, and the promises of God are real, they're visible, and they're tangible. And that the God who makes the promises of a king will keep the promise of a king. And so knowing that God is true to himself, to his word, and who he is, to his promises, we have a decision to make. How are you going to respond to God's truth? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he sits on the throne of his father David. That he will reign over the kingdom of Jacob and indeed the universe forever. Do you believe that this story is true? Do you believe that this really happened? And if so, do you trust in him? Do you believe that God is with you? That God loves you? That Jesus has the power to make a difference in your life? Do you believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you and that nothing is impossible with God? And if so, will you give him your life and allow him to be your king? Will you say, let it be to me according to your word? You know, there have been lots of times in my life when I've wanted things to be according to my word and my plan. But he is calling for something different from all of us. Let it be to me according to your word.
Thy kingdom come. My, we, my kingdom go. Not my will, but thy will be done. Well, I accept his plan as my plan. And what will I do when he calls upon me? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is a story about a miracle, but it is also a story about humanity. A story about God, the divine, and regular people. Lord, what happens when an ordinary young girl is challenged with your divine purposes? Lord, what happens with us when you call us to something different, something we didn't plan, something we didn't maybe even want, but are part of your design? But Lord, we know that Mary was able to say yes to you because you had already shaped her heart and were already working in her through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, work in us so that we too may declare you our King and say that nothing is impossible with God. Let it be to me according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.